So we're created in our Father's identity. In fact, when he created Adam, his fingerprints were all over him. I just want you to take a minute, just think about that the same hands that created Adam also created you. His fingerprints are all over you. And you are in the form of him, our eternal God, the father of the universe. He made you to look like him. And then he did something special, and that is because he is a God of touch. Family includes touch. When you don't see a family member, you give them a big hug. Sometimes you give them a fist pump, right? If they don't want a hug. And then sometimes you just go in and you give them this huge hug because family includes touch. It's the first thing you do when your child is born is you want to grab them, right? Hold them. Look at them in their, in their eyes, which is one of the most intimate things you can do. Touch. So touch also includes intimacy. And it wasn't good for Adam to just be alone. And so God created Eve. And instead of forming her out of the dust of the ground like he formed Adam, he formed, him, formed Eve out of Adam's flesh. It was unique. She was unique. She was special. In fact, Eve literally means rather than we would often say she was made as a helpmate. And I would say that translation may be not the best. Eve was created as the strengthening of Adam. Strengthening of Adam who was not functioning well just by himself. In fact, God himself said, it's not good for man to be alone. So he forms Eve, strengthening him, making him fulfilled. When we look at this, God created creation. He created Adam and Eve. He created them to fulfill his ultimate plan. And as they created together, they strengthen one another. It's this beautiful image of God taking such a personal note on each person and actually touching them. And it's probably hard for us to even mentally conceive what that is like, that the God of the universe, in fact, I saw a video recently on, I, I think it's YouTube, but it was showing the universe, and it started with, the smallest planet then, you know, went on to, and I won't go through all the planets because you'll realize I'm not very good at that. Um, but it goes through all the planets. You see Earth, you see the moon, then you start seeing Saturn, you start seeing Jupiter, right? You keep going. And I thought, oh, well, I know where this is going, right? And then you're going to see the sun, and the Earth is going to be teeny tiny, but it went way beyond that. Like, I learned some things about our universe, but not just our universe, but the multi-universes. And I paused for a moment, especially when I was preparing this mes message, and I thought, wow, the God of all that? 
thought I was good enough to touch. The God of all that said, Aaron, you're my son. The God of all that knows your name, whether you love him or not. Family includes touch and includes intimacy. Verse 24 says, for this reason, and this is really the creation of marriage, right? This is the verse that Paul uses. This is the verse that Jesus references. That for this reason, man will leave his family and become unified with his wife. They'll become fulfilled. They'll become strengthened. They will start a new family. It's in that beginning that you get to start a new adventure. It's in that one flesh that a new adventure begins. How many of you have been married for under five years? Few of you, right? It's an adventure, right? Right? Okay, you guys who have been married more than 10 years. How many of you have been married more than 10 years? It's a great adventure, right? There's some amazing things that happen in that adventure. Sometimes you go, I don't want to go on that ride. I mean, the Phelps just came back from Disneyland, and I heard as I was driving back from the airport the rides that were great. Ileana described a ride that she would never go on again. <laughs> In marriage, sometimes we go, I do not want to go on that ride again. But there's some rides that we go, wow, that was amazing. Let's do that again and again. Now, this doesn't speak that being single is wrong. In fact, we've got great examples, right? Jesus. Who wants to be like Jesus? Everybody. Unless you're single and want to get married, then you all of a sudden you don't want to be like Jesus because he was single, right? Paul, he actually says that single life is good. You can get more done. Don't ever say that, husbands, <laughs> if you're not married. You can get more done. He says, go ahead and do that. But there's something about how God created a new family where he said, no, this is how it starts. Man and male and female, man and wife, for the strengthening of one another to start something new. And it will be beautiful. It will be very, very good. Today we get to see glimpses of this in marriage. Today we get to see that not only is the preparation part of marriage important. Some of you probably did some pre-classes, right? Some of you that I officiated at your wedding, we did this small pre-class where we'd take a test and then you come back to me and I tell you, um, you got some red flags. Uh, you got some green ones, those are good. Let me encourage you in that, but there's some things we should work on. But I think all of you who have been married know that the preparation part is minor compared to the actual living part. There's no way you can fully prepare for marriage. That's why many people, 
I've, I don't totally understand why if you want to love someone completely, if you want the intimacy of the touch that God has created between man and wife, why wait so long? You can prepare. I, some people want to prepare for years. And what I say is, once you make the choice that you want to get married, if you actually hold to that choice, you can have a good marriage. Because guess what, people? Marriage isn't about you. That's the fallacy that our society puts in our mind. That it's all about how you feel. What God says in marriage is it's more about holding fast to the covenant that you make. It's a covenant. Now, a famous quote from my mother before I got married was, once you make that choice, Aaron, that's it. She said the same thing before I became a pastor. And I was like, oh, no, Mom. I can, I can be a pastor for a few years, and then I can be an FBI agent, or I can be whatever, you know. And my mom said, Aaron, that is a commitment for life. <laughs> I'm like, well, hold back, Mom. But what I love from my mom's quotes to me is that she holds in her heart commitment so high. She gives it great honor, and it's something in our society that we don't see as much anymore. When I see a couple struggle who are married, who've made that commitment, and I've seen many, when I see that couple struggle but they hold fast to their commitment to one another. They don't allow all their feelings to intercede. They stop and say, wait a minute. I may not like that person at all. I may not be able to feel like I can forgive them right now, but I made a commitment. So I'm going to hold fast to that, and as I hold fast to it, I'm going to work through all these things that happen, whether it's because of what I did or it's because of the person that is a part of me, what they did, I will hold fast to it. When I see that happen, I think it's beautiful. I have such a sense of pride for someone who says, no matter what chaos is around me and in our relationship right now, we're going to look beyond ourselves and we're going to keep pushing through. We're going to figure out a way to love one another again. And why do I love that? Because it's the ultimate form of forgiveness. It's the ultimate form of showing what forgiveness looks like in intimacy. It shows that you don't throw relationships away. It shows the value that you hold with people. It gives us a glimpse of what God sees with us and how he deals with us. He doesn't throw us away. 
We can walk away and he still says, you're precious. We can trash ourselves with the choices that we make. And he'll still look at you and say, I know you. And I love you. And I want you in my family. I want you with me. He did this because he wanted Adam and Eve to hold fast to one another so that they would enjoy creation. In the story, we see that he created Adam and Eve, and then they got to go on morning walks with the Father. Now, some of you would say, boy, that sounds kind of boring. But this was a beautiful place. They got to walk through things that we'll not get to see until Christ comes again or he takes us home. Until he restores all of creation. And it's beyond our comprehension how beautiful it was. And not only did they get to enjoy it, but they got to manage it. Now just think about that. This is, if you're a parent, you know how this is. You get something that's awesome, maybe for Christmas. Did you get an awesome gift? And you love it. And then your five-year-old says, can I use it? Well, what the father does, he goes, here, manage that. Everything I have is yours. Use it. Enjoy it. Take care of it. This is yours. Adam and Eve got to experience that in freedom as they walked around the garden. And then God himself was right there too. They just went on some strolls, walking through. All this was theirs. He provided for them. There was provision in this story. Great provision. Like I thought about the fruit trees. Fruit was always on the tree then. And there was always something that was ripe. And you can never take enough off. Now, some of you probably had to cover your plants this last week, or you didn't cover your plants. Rogers didn't cover his plants. I covered my orange tree that has been stressed out for a couple years because we moved it. We got a bunch of oranges on it this year, but I was like, I got to cover that thing because there's no way it's going to survive. There's a little bit of apprehension, right? If you don't, it's going to die. Well, during this time of provision, Adam and Eve didn't have to worry about any kind of death or decay. One of the things I thought about, they also didn't have to rush. Like, when a fruit tree gets ready, you got to get all the fruit off or you're going to lose it. And there's a mind of scarcity, right? If I don't take it now, I'll be gone forever. Well, at that time of Adam and Eve and this family beginning... They didn't have that. They had a sense of abundance. They weren't going to lose anything. Nothing was taken away. Great provision. It's what we want to do for our kids. It was also a huge blessing that was given to Adam and Eve in this story. And in those times, in biblical times... A blessing was always restricted between parent and child. 
wasn't given to strangers. It was always given between the parent and the child, a blessing. And so when God gives this blessing, he identifies that I'm your father. All blessings come from me. So he encourages them to be productive and then follow him in blessing their children as well. So follow. So as soon as Adam and Eve had children, they were to show their children how the Heavenly Father took care of them, that they would do the same. We know that's a different story at another time. Cain and Abel missed some points. A few. But in this family beginning, it includes intimacy, provision, blessing, enjoyment, and management. And I think what the Lord is saying to us in this story is just as our Heavenly Father is creative, He wants us to be creative with these things as well. Be creative with intimacy. So guys, especially those of you who are married, you probably need to step up your game. Intimacy is more than sex, if you didn't know. Your wife probably has told you it's more than just the deed. It's a small part of intimacy. But there's so much more and so much more that we can experience. I alluded to it when you hold your child and you look at them in their eyes for the first time. There's incredible intimacy. Practice that with your wife. Look at her. You can practice right now, but everybody hold back because we're in church. Look at her for a while and linger in looking in her eyes and beginning to see a small part, because you're only going to see a small part of what God sees in her. And women, you're not off the hook either, right? Intimacy, there needs to be a creative aspect of how we interact with one another. Now, for all of, you, all of you who are not married, this doesn't mean that you don't need to worry about intimacy because what I believe is lacking from our relationships as husband and wives is because we don't know how to be intimate with other people as well. We close ourselves off. In fact, I think a good word for us to think about is open. Will we risk opening our hearts to someone else? Will we risk being transparent with someone else? Will we let them in? Because not only was it not good for Adam to be alone so he was given a wife, but he was given a family. Jesus did ministry within a family, a community. Are we willing to be open with one another here? Because I'm going to say that if you're not willing to be open with one another here, if you're not willing to be open in your job or out with your family that's not here today, it probably is difficult for you to be open with your spouse as well. 
Intimacy takes practice. Intimacy is something that I think we have a huge challenge with because you become so vulnerable. No one wants someone to see the complete joy you have or the complete hurt. There are two times that I really cry. Everyone knows that sometimes when I'm doing a, you know, officiating a wedding, sometimes I cry. And it's because I have so much joy for that couple. I think about all the great things that are going to happen in their life. See, I could almost get a little teary-eyed right now because I think about how awesome that is of the adventure they're going to go on. The other time I cry is when I see great hurt in someone. So this morning I got a little teary-eyed because one of the rituals that Sarah and I do is we watch Sunday morning because we're an old couple. So we watch Sunday morning on CBS. Most of you don't know what it is. Sunday morning, it's a news program. It always has these little things. And the reason why I like it is my mom and dad always watched it. So it's like this thing of childhood that now I continue until they cancel the show, but I don't know. So anyways, we watch this show, and there's a story about this kid who's in fourth grade. And Sarah had been a fourth grade teacher for a long time, so I knew this was going to make her cry. So this kid was really off, and the teacher could tell that he was really off, and she, she confronted him, and he said that he was scared for his mom because she needed a kidney transplant, but she had, like, A plus or AB plus, oh, pot plus, AB positive blood, and so rare blood, or AB negative, whatever, it's the rarest, I don't know. So anyways... He's like, I'm not sure that she's going to get a kidney, and then I'm not ready for that. And he had to hold back. And I could see in his face, because I've seen it in my son's face as well, when he has hurt. And he's trying to be brave, so he's trying not to cry. And I saw Sarah, she starts to, to weep, right? And I kind of think it's a good thing, because sometimes Sarah just needs a good cry. So that gets it out of the way. And I think, well, I'm just saying. What surprises me, though, is the times when I think I'm just going to get her good cry out of the way. And then all of a sudden, I start to get affected myself. And I'm like, what happened to me? Because I started to see the pain and the hurt that she was experiencing because she's seen this. Right? So the story, I'll give you the good story. This teacher also has the same blood type, and she decides to give her kidney to this kid's mom. She researches for a couple months to make sure it would work, and then she calls this mom in for a parent-teacher conference. Now that's intimacy. Of seeing a kid, loving a kid, and doing whatever you can to make sure that kid knows that he won't be alone. It's being creative. It's being created in our provision as well, right? That's a great story of showing how we can be creative in our provision because provision isn't just money. It's not just fruit trees. Provision is so many things. It's giving our kids, and when I say our kids, I hope you know that I'm not saying 
or just speaking to the parents in this room. Because when I look at the people in this room, I know that you have had, whether it's a minor effect or a major effect upon my own kids, you've all had interactions with them. And whether it's been a positive interaction, whenever it is, I know you've just deposited a little provision into my kids. You've done a lot for Breezy. Look at her now. You don't even know what you've spoken into her life. And what I want us to think about is that these times that we give that provision is what we need to do with each other. We want to give wisdom to our kids, not just knowledge. We want to give them a future that goes beyond a degree or a career. We want to show them what life looks like. So it's good to be creative in the things that we see in this first story of intimacy, provision, blessing, enjoyment, and management. Now in this first story, we see all these things in perfection. However, there was a fall, and that's another story as well for another day. It's in the fall that we lose this identity as God's kids. And it's really great that the kids have all come back in right now. Right? Because we, we get a little distracted. But really, this time for them is the time for us to look at them and say, are we giving our kids the identity that they need to have as God's children? Because in the fall, we lost it. And there became a little bit of chaos. And I think some of you probably have experienced a little chaos. In fact, we just experienced a little chaos just now, right? Well, the fall is all about chaos. How many of you are ready for tomorrow when school starts again and you know it's going to be a little chaos? <laughs> and how many of you are ready for school to start to get rid of a little chaos, right? But maybe in this chaos, you're one of these individuals where you go, I feel so alone. In the midst of this chaos, I am against the world, fighting against everything that's wrong. If that is you, the writer in Hebrews says, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, and these are the words that are for you who say, in this chaos I feel so alone. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? We may be after the fall. We may not see what this perfect family looks like. But you are not in it alone. If you're in chaos right now, and if you are going home to chaos, if you feel like you are alone and you're fighting against the world, the Lord is saying, I will not fail you. I'm with it in you. I've been fighting against this chaos before you ever started the fight. 
Because Jesus has been in it since the beginning. God is inviting you out of this loneliness and into his presence this morning. Because our battle is not against flesh. It is against Satan himself. And all the demons who would want nothing more than to make you feel like you're fighting alone. Now, others of you may be feeling that this blessing, the family blessing, has been restricted from you because of choices that you've made in the past. That you don't deserve it or you're so ashamed to say, Lord, can I be a part of that blessing? That the choices that you made have restricted you from receiving anything from God. Or that God himself is punishing you for something that you did. If there's any, I think I've heard this term, recovering Catholics. Many times you say, I am being punished and until I do something, God will not relent. But God doesn't see it that way because he's already given you his greatest blessing. This is from John chapter 1. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance... We have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who him himself is God, is near to the Father's heart. He is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Jesus restores family and allows us to have a new beginning. So no matter how you started this year, I hope that your hearts are ready to receive the presence of Jesus who wants to live in you. He wants to restore and bring you out of the chaos that you may be in. He wants to remind you that you are not alone. He wants to show you that there's a great intimacy with the relationships that he has placed around you. He wants you to be on an adventure with him. He wants you to go walk in the garden, even though it may not be perfected, but know that you will see a perfected garden soon. He wants to whisper in your ear and remind you that he knows you. And he wants you to enjoy the life he's given you. Jesus regains all these things for us. So my prayer for us this morning is that our hearts would open up to one another. And that we take the risk. As Jesus calls us into his family. Maybe for the first time. And if you're here today and you're thinking about, well, what does it look like to be a part of his family? In a few moments, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And if you believe in Jesus and you've been baptized, he invites you to participate in the Lord's Supper. 
If you're here today and you haven't been baptized and you wonder, well, what is that? It's a profound mystery that Jesus has put in place in his church so that we can be adopted. So that no longer would we be orphans, but instead we would have a name that's under the name of Jesus. That we would be in his family forever. And so if you haven't been baptized, then we invite you to be baptized. And you can talk to one of us either after the service. And if you want to participate in the Lord's Supper and you're saying, I want to participate in the Lord's Supper and I want to be baptized, there's nothing that says that you can't do that today. Because we live in freedom. But we'd love to share what that means for you and for your family. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us family beginnings. We thank you for this story as you created Adam and Eve, as you put them together as a family, as you showed us what it could look like in our relationships. The complete freedom of walking in peace, in quietness, in joy, even as we were managing things. Lord, we pray that as we get back to what we would say is normalcy. And for some of us, that is chaos. That we would take a step back and instead allow you to show us how you want this year to be. Help us to step into what you would call us into instead of what we will rush into. Help us to take a pause and to seek your will to say a prayer, whether it's a simple prayer like, Lord, help me to see where I'm supposed, what I'm supposed to do today. Or, Lord, help me to see what you would like me to do today. Or, help me to accomplish the things and then give thanks for you today. Or, help me to engage the person that I'm either fearful of or I'm not sure about. Help me to be open to remove my mask and actually receive that person in my life. Or perhaps, Lord, it's for us to look at our spouse that you've given us and actually honor them by giving the intimacy that we should give that you gave us because we're one flesh. As we hold fast to that covenant that we made to that person. Lord, we thank you for these saints, and we pray the prayer that you gave us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.